Welcome. You've joined the Sexy Lifestyle with Carol and David. Our show is here to help you achieve better, better love, better sex, and a better, more intimate relationship. Are you ready? Take notes and send us your questions. This is the Sexy Lifestyle. Now, here are your hosts, Carol and David. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Sexy Lifestyle Podcast. We are Stephanie and Fox from Evolve Your Intimacy, sitting in for Carol and David. We are a sexual health education and guidance center where you learn to educate, enlighten, and evolve your intimacy. Are you ready to spice up your sex life? Well, you've come to the right place because that is what the sexy lifestyle is all about. We are passionate about making your sex life the best it can be by discussing everything about relationships, sexual health, sex, intimacy, and pleasure. We love discussing the naughty, the taboo, and the unknown with our top experts in the industry and hope that our conversations will open up your dialogue for great sex. Because great sex matters and we all deserve it. So kiki sex has become extremely popular within mainstream. Movies like 365, Fifty Shades of Grey, and the entire series have really brought it to the forefront. The problem with these movies is it doesn't actually show the reality of these kinks or that type of kinky sex, meaning that kinky sex can actually be extremely dangerous if it's not properly done correctly and the people playing within that realm are not properly educated to the type of toys that are being used, the contraptions, special words, and things that you know people within BDSM put into practice every day to protect themselves. Today we are talking with the, one of the experts about what happens when kinky sex goes wrong and possible legal prosecutions concerning consent, age play, and even death that has occurred due to BDSM play. So tonight we have Dr. Eli Elizabeth Sheff. She's a researcher, an expert witness, coach, speaker, and educational consultant. So with her PhD in sociology and a certification as a sexuality educator from ASECT, Dr. Eli specializes in gender, and sexual minority families, consensual non-monogamy, kink, BDSM, and so much more. Dr. Eli is the foremost academic expert on polyamorous families with children, and her more than 25 years in her polyamorous family study is the only longitudinal study of poly families with children to date. Dr. Eli has served as a faculty at seven universities and currently chairs the Consensual Non-Monogamous Legal Issues Team, that's a mouthful, for the American Psychological Association Division 44 Committee on Consensual Non-Monogamy. Dr. Eli Sheff has published four books in over 25 journals and chapters, and she is currently editing a series of books on relationship and sexual diversity. So what is ASEC? ASEC is the accrediting body for um, sex therapy. So, but before we bring on Dr. Eli, let's take a quick commercial break and hear from our sponsors. Let's take a moment to talk about the top waterproof blanket because great sex is messy sex, but no one wants to sleep in that wet spot. If you're fed up with having to change your sheets every time you have sex, then you need your own top waterproof blanket. It's 100% waterproof and leak proof and it guarantees to keep your bed and mattress dry, no matter how wet it gets. From messy massage oils or silicone lubes to all sorts of sexy wetness, just throw it in the washer and dryer and it comes out looking like brand new. You don't have to leave your house to get one. Simply and safely go to Amazon and order yours today. Search Top Waterproof Blanket. That is T-O-P Waterproof Blanket. Great sex starts now. And we are back and this is Evolve Your Intimacy, I am Fox with Evolve Your Intimacy podcast, talking with Dr. Eli Sheff about when kinky sex goes wrong. Welcome back, Dr. Sheff, to the show. Thanks for having me. I enjoyed the first one, and I'm glad to be back again. I kind of just want to jump right into this because we have a lot to talk about tonight. Um, As we have stated on the show before, you are an expert witness in many, many type of legal cases. And today we're talking about when kinky sex or BDSM goes wrong. So my first question is, what type of qualifications does one need in order to be considered an expert witness for these type of legal proceedings? 
for me, it's my PhD in sociology, my certification as a sexualities expert through the American Association of Sexualities Educators, Counselors, and Therapists, also known as ASECT, which I think you might have talked about before, maybe, Stephanie. I think you know about that. Oh, absolutely. I am uh, trying to work on that 300-page application right now. <laughs> it's intense. It is. Absolutely. Um, and then my research and publications in the field. In the article that you wrote called Kinky, when, where kinky sex go gone wrong, you stated, and I'm going to quote this, the vast influx of the new members to the subculture has destabilized older norms and values and created more situations in which communication is poor, consent is unclear, play is unsafe, and people get hurt, end quote. You go on to say some things about these situations result in legal prosecution. What are some of the problematic situations that require legal proceedings? You know, they generally fall into three primary categories, at least in my experience. Um, one, it revolves around consent. Like, was this actually a BDSM scene or was this kidnapping, assault, and rape? Um, another is around murder. Was this kind of an accidental death, often through breath play or strangulation or choking are the most common kinds of accidents, although sometimes weapon play. Um, and then is this age play or pedophilia slash hebophilia slash epihebophilia, which are kind of all similar to pedophilia, which is desire for children. Hebophilia is desire for adolescents. And epihebophilia is a desire for post-adolescent young people. So I want to, to, we really want to talk about each of those topic, topics in detail today. And we're going to start with consent. So what does consent look like among the kink community members? You know, the kinksters or people who engage in BDSM have been at the forefront of consent. And at first they talked about safe, sane, and consensual as guiding principles, meaning you've got to be actively consenting to something. You can't just jump into it without talking about it first. Then, because there were concerns about who is the right person to, to decide what counts as sane or not, mm -hmm. that evolved to risk-aware kink, meaning you know what you're doing, you know what the downfall could be, you know the potential benefits, and you're going into it eyes open, fully consenting. That eventually has become, in the most recent version, is prior explicit permission. So that means that people have to talk about what's going to happen before anything happens. And it's got to be verbal, like, absolutely, yes, I want to do this, this, and that. So no kind of trying to interpret body language and no um, interpreting someone's dress as an invitation, what they're wearing as an invitation, but very explicit discussion of, all right, do you want to do this? What do you not want to happen? What do you really want to happen? What are you not so sure about? But it's got to be before anything happens, it's got to be very clear and provide explicit permission to be truly consensual. Hmm. So as prior law enforcement, or I should say prior federal law enforcement, because there's a distinct difference, <laughs> what are some of the criminal prosecutions related to consent or misunderstanding of consent or consent gone wrong? So one of the prosecutions I... Um, 
discussed or I kind of consulted with these folks was about this person who had gone to a bar and there was one of his on and off partners, like a friends with benefits kind of person there. And she was at work and they had previously discussed the potential for him to, and you can't see the air quotes I'm making, (laughs) trump her, which means grab her pussy, as Trump put it. Mm -hmm. Um, And they thought it was funny, kind of joking about it or, you know, seeing it as like, oh, wouldn't that be kind of hilarious? And so when she saw him, she said to him, he's coming into the bar where she's working, I want you to trump me. So he grabs her pussy and screams Trump. And she didn't mean right then in front of all of these people while she was at work. So she thought they were kind of bantering about, oh, this future thing that might happen. He thinks she's saying right now, let's do this. And so he thinks it's consensual and she's like, dude, that was assault. That's not cool. So maybe what he actually should have done in that situation was ask, do you mean right now? To clarify, because then it's explicit. So what is, I guess, I'm. what would the legal recourse be on that? I guess I'm just confused because she asked for it. She did, but not right then. She didn't say, I want you to trump me now while I'm at work in front of my coworkers and patrons. Okay. You know, she had, they had discussed it previously multiple times and never done it. So I think he definitely interpreted it as let's do this now because they had talked about it before and it sounded like, hey, let's do this. But she didn't mean right then. She was meaning at some future point. Right. So because it was not clear, he should have clarified before making any move. And in truth, she could have communicated better too. She should have said, I want you to trump me later or after work or next year or something to clarify. Yeah, so I I can't speak for every single state in the United States, but I know specifically in Texas uh, and Virginia, that could be considered as um, unwanted touching or assault. And it could also be labeled as um, it's indecent touching within public and then also public disturbance. So there's three different things that they could have gotten uh, this gentleman on had, you know, she responded with, well, I didn't mean it then and there. Right. Um, And and so, yeah, Dr. Eli kind of hit right on the head. It's this is where proper, clear communication is extremely needed and warranted, especially for public situations. I'm interested to know, Absolutely. Dr. Eli, what was your role in the case and how did you, how, how are you the expert witness in all of this? So most of the time when I'm in court, I'm explaining to the jury and the judge and the other litigators, what is BDSM and how could these things that on the surface might seem shocking or uncomfortable or even abusive, how how could that be fun for some people? Like, how could this be anything but assault? There's a whole kind of branch of kinky sex called non-consensual consent, mm-hmm. which is kind of confusing for some people. How can consent be non-consensual? But for instance, in that case, people do establish consent beforehand And then whatever they're doing might look non-consensual, but they actually have 
previously discussed it. So for instance, some people do rape play where they pretend to kidnap and rape each other, or usually it's one person doing it to the other and generally not mutual. Um, and it looks incredibly non-consensual because often the person who's being raped and raped is in air quotes, um, is screaming and fighting back and sobbing no and things like that. So if that's happening and people don't understand that there was prior negotiation that structured that interaction, it can just be incredibly disturbing for people. And it's hard to tell when they've never been exposed to it how could that be consensual? So often that's my job to explain. Yeah, so I, I would actually love to jump on this because I have had back in the day uh, playmates or submissives where we, we do this type of play. Um, we sit down and we discuss this for days and days and days. Um, sometimes Stephanie gets involved as a counselor as well and you know make sure that we take the extra step to make sure this is really what they want. Um, I find out why they want it. Is there past trauma? Is this a, a you know positive or negative thing for them? Because if it's gonna be negative, uh, we, we don't touch it. Uh, but some people actually find it very therapeutic. Mm -hmm. And then we formulate a contract. And that contract is, if this happens, then what? If this happens, then what? If a mistake happens, then what do we do? And it, it is a very extensive, long process that we get into, um, mostly with the subs that I've played with in my past when it comes to either forced or, or any type of rate play or anything like that. Because you really have to do the, what happens if this takes place? What happens if that takes place? What happens if one of us makes this mistake? And you know, a lot of my contracts have been 10 to 15 pages long for this exact reason. Um, or I always have a body chart and the body chart, you know, we have green for light uh, touching or impact, yellow for harder. And then red is, you know, obviously the most extreme within my contract. And then we talk about that as well. So you just got to be very, very careful, you know, make sure you talk about every single possibility. If you're uncomfortable in discussing it, you're probably on the right track is what I like to tell a lot of my playmates. Dr. That Eli, sounds like kinky sex done right. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. And I, I would like for you, this is kind of a little bit um, off the consent topic, but it's not. The consent of rape play, um, is that legal and will that hold up in court? That's a tricky, oh, that's so tricky. Um, it depends i would say different municipalities have different laws about things and in some places you cannot consent to your own assault so any form of bdsm is illegal really? um, when it is prosecuted is the thing because to be prosecuted it takes something drawing it to the authority's attention. And so generally in the cases I'm involved in, that means someone who was in the experience and didn't like it, it was bad for them. And either they didn't consent to it or um, they consented to some of it but not other things that happened. They said, no, they didn't want that to happen. And the person did it anyway. Or the person like in the Trumping case thought they had consent and thought that they were acting within the boundaries of consent and did, really did not mean to assault. But the, uh, the person on the receiving end of that felt assaulted. And so they drew it to the authority's attention. Um, I think once it gets the authority's attention, it's very difficult to use. If they say no one can consent to their own assault, then to say this person consented 
to me raping them, so it wasn't really rape. Um, I have not seen that work particularly well, especially if it's in a jurisdiction, um, like a, a conservative jurisdiction that probably has significant discomfort around people having sex for fun, you know, kind of a more religious paradigm of Judeo, um, I'm sorry, Christianity specifically, that sex is for having babies and Mm -hmm. not for fun. And even though a lot of people have sex for fun and not just babies, um, it also, they judge other people who are having a different kind of fun than they are. Yeah, I was going to say, the, and it's not even a landmark case yet. Uh, I personally only know of one case, and that was in Cal- out of California. And it ended up going to the California Supreme Court, and the California Supreme Court kicked it back down and, and denied the case overall and said, we're not taking this. Um, and you hit it right on the head. Consent is one of those very legal, tricky things. It depends on you know um, the region you're in the state, the laws. And for those listening, you know, if you've never been in a courtroom and, and I say this with the most compassion as possible, but court is where the best storyteller wins. It's not where the best, the best Mm -hmm. truth wins. It's where the best storyteller wins. Uh, I've been in and out of federal court hundreds and hundreds of times as an officer and as an agent and I can tell you, it really does fall down to who can tell the best story, who can convince the jury, or who can convince that judge that they are the ones that are correct. That's why it's called practicing law mm. and interpretation of law. That's a good point. Mm-hmm. Well, I am so interested to learn more about all of these things when Kiki Sex Goes Wrong with Dr. Eli Sheff right after this commercial break. Now let's just tell everybody about Topless Travel and the amazing trips that we have planned for next year. Absolutely, and you know that Topless Travel provides the sexiest and most erotic vacations ever, from Hito 2 in Jamaica to Desire in Cancun to all the Bliss Cruise experiences. Topless Travel is ours and needs to be your number one choice. And of course, their trips and events are all about the people and their sexy, fun experiences. So let's just shout out to those sexy host couples, including Jessica and Justin, and of course, Party Mar who are there to ensure that you have one hell of a sexy vacation. And you've heard many times that we do go on many of the topless travel trips, but listen up, the Desire Pearl Resort takeover in October and the next Bliss Cruises in November 2022 and April 2023 are already sold out. So if you want to be part of one of the hottest and sexiest lifestyle beach party vacations ever, then you need to book now and join us from February 25th to March 4th, 2023 at Hedonism 2 on Negril Beach in Jamaica. It is the world's most iconic adult playground. And as usual, we'll be broadcasting live from Hedo 2, so come and join us for the week. We would love to meet you and maybe get you onto our show. The rooms are absolutely selling out quickly, so go and book now. So for more information about this trip or any of the topless travel events, you can go to thesexylifestyle.com and click on the topless travel events link to book the sexiest and most erotic vacation ever. Ever, ever, ever. And we are back. I am Fox, and this is the Evolve Your Intimacy podcast, and we are talking with Dr. Eli Sheff about when kinky sex goes wrong. Okay, so earlier you said that there were three things, and the second thing that you said about um, when kinky sex becomes problematic and kind of requires some criminal proceedings is age play. What in the world? I mean, I know what age play is, but can you tell our listeners what age play is and how that can be seen as problematic? Well, generally, especially pre-COVID, a lot of people who were doing age play would do it in person so they could see, oh, this is a 43-year-old person pretending to be 11. And it was clear they could see it. So age play is pretending to be a different age than you actually are. And research shows that almost everyone who does age play does younger than they really are. They call it regression age play. 
hardly anybody plays older than they really are. So there's um, adult diaper baby play where people enjoy wearing diapers and sucking on a pacifier and drinking from a bottle, things like that. Then there are littles who tend to be kind of um, preschool into elementary, early elementary age. Um, Adolescence is a super popular age to play between like 11 and 15, something like that. Um, And occasionally you'll get someone playing barely legal, which is just turned 18 or pretending to be legal. So they're maybe actually in their minds 17, but pretending to be, you know, legal of 18. But for the most part, um, online, it's much more difficult to tell how old someone actually is chronologically than if people are playing in person. If they meet in person, they can easily tell, you know, who is 47 and who is actually seven years old. Um, But online, the cases I get involved in are, it has always been men so far, seemingly cisgender men, um, approaching much younger people sometimes nine, sometimes 11, sometimes 14. Those are pretty common ages that people will kind of troll for online. And then they, instead of actually interacting with an 11-year-old or a seven-year-old, they're interacting with a law enforcement official who is pretending to be an 11-year-old. And that is technically illegal, especially if they cross state lines to meet in person. And that's when I generally get the case is when they have come to meet what they're in theory expecting to be a child. And instead it's a police sting. And sometimes they say, oh, I knew this person was not 11 the whole time I knew I was talking to an adult and it was very clear to me that this was an adult. I was doing age play. And in my, in those cases, my role is to help determine was this actually age play or was this attempted pedophilia, hebophilia, epihebophilia. Um, And that can be tricky. Generally in those cases, I do a lot of documentary analysis where I'm looking at transcripts from kick or text transcripts and photos and things like that. Hmm. That's interesting. I just, it blows my mind sometimes to think about different things in this elements. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, and and I'm sure it has happened. I mean, I, I can't take away from right. The, a person that knows it's an adult and they're just doing age play, but it, it makes it very hard when it's not in person and it's online to justify in, yeah. in a sense. So with that said, how does an experienced person with an age play differ right from a beginning kinkster that's just getting into age play and I guess on a second question to that, how does that fantasy fall into age play? What does that, what does it look, how does it differ? What, what does it look like? What does it taste like, sound like, you know, smell like, all that stuff? Well, generally, people who know what they're doing more so will take more time in the negotiation phase and not just jump directly into sexual interaction. Um, They will ask more careful questions. Um, Sometimes in age play, the person who's playing younger will mention having an authority figure, like sometimes a parent, um, sometimes they label that a daddy. And if 
the age player if the if the young person the person playing young mentions that authority figure often a well educated age player will ask to speak to the authority person and make sure that the age play is okay generally that kind of has tones of and you can't see my hand slashes 24 7 which is a kind of play where people don't come out of their roles they're in it 24 7 so frequently in that there is a dominant person who is dominant over everything the submissive person does or at minimum the areas that they have negotiated so if these truly are kinksters who are playing the age player will not be freaked out by the request to speak to the daddy or the dominant or something um so that's a good place to start if you want to age play online and the person mentions you know my daddy wouldn't like this or whatever then you can ask, well, maybe it would help if I talked to your daddy and daddy got to know me and they could come to trust me. And that's definitely not a sign of pedophilia if you're asking to speak to the authority. Okay, so I have a question that is about the fantasy of all the age play. For those who maybe and this is completely i'm asking the expert right here for those who maybe have those pedophilia thoughts but not actions can the fantasy fulfill that age play need for them generally not actually because an age player especially someone who's playing let's say they've got a partner who's 37 and who is playing a seven-year-old, you're gonna get a totally different response from a 37-year-old pretending to be seven. And it's that much more sophisticated 37-year-old response that they're looking for, not an actual seven-year-old response. So generally age players, and let me back up and say, this is research data from people who have volunteered to participate in research, people who identify as kinky and volunteer to participate. So those folks, I think, are much more likely to be kind of more sophisticated players who are the ones who responded to that research. So I think it is perhaps possible that some people could get a pedophilic desire satisfied through someone pretending. But the pretense is not the actuality. You know, people who really want that 37-year-old to pretend to be seven don't actually want a seven-year-old. Okay. No, I, and, and I understand. I, so I, I want to hit this, I guess, on the head or add to this as someone that's not right not licensed um but has a you know a mental or mental health certification but also as someone who does age play every now and then yeah right um so i know for me because i fall into that realm of of legal barely legal age play with some of my playmates Normally, they're between the ages of 21 and, I don't know, what would you say? 20, 24. 24, <laughs> yeah. yeah. <clears throat> you know, and for me, it's not about the age. It's about the that gray area that, hey, you really shouldn't be doing this uh, type thing. It, it's, it's... The transgression? Yeah, it's the transgression, right? It's, it's, hey, this is not something morally that we're supposed to be playing around with. Um, however... Legally, uh, let's just take Texas, um, and this is something that if anyone from Texas that has anything to do with legislation is listening, please change this law. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so in Texas, at age 14 and a half, if you are married by consent of your parents, you can have sex legally, and there's no, no one can do anything about it. Uh, at age 
was it 15 and a half, right? They just changed that. 15 and a half, you can have consensual sex with somebody that is, and, and I don't remember the exact age range, but it, it is a certain... Two years. It's the it Romeo and Juliet Okay, law. Romeo mm-hmm. and Juliet law, right. Mm-hmm. So they give me two years difference than you. Now, uh, you know, morally, is that is that a positive thing? I don't personally think so. Um, I don't believe that someone that young has that type of mind frame, A, to be married or to be having consensual sex with an adult. Uh, however, the play around it, right, the fantasy, the, hey, we really shouldn't be doing this, that's what I personally go after. So that could be anything. It could be, you know, let's do it in public. Let's do it right before, you know, our parents walk in the door. Let's whatever. I go after the uh, taboo the taboo type, right, fantasy. So I think it really just matters on the intent and the desire of the people that are playing around within that scenario, if that makes sense. I absolutely agree. And I think a lot of people are attracted to BDSM because of the taboo. Playing with the forbidden is kind of central to BDSM. Mm. Um, But also, I think, like, for instance, people who engage in rape play, it doesn't mean they actually want to rape other people. You know, they're probably not really rapists that are going out and attacking people. It's within this consensual, clearly defined, negotiated parameter. So it doesn't make them a rapist. It means they're playing. And I think that the same thing happens with age play. I think the the motivation from the other direction, people who are playing younger than they really are is kind of a sense of not necessarily purity but innocence and inexperience frequently and almost for some people back to the healing aspect of rape play which you wouldn't think would be healing but absolutely can be um age play can help people heal and in a way reparent themselves or at least parts of themselves or express that younger part of themselves in a safe and fun way that maybe it wasn't safe and fun when they actually were that age. Yeah, I think you hit it right on the head. So and and I only tell this story obviously with no names because this this past playmate has given me permission to use her story. So one of my past playmates was unfortunately molested by her uncle however it was a very positive sexual experience for her as she explains it Um, she went to therapy over it her parents made her go to therapy and within about three months her therapist said you don't need to see me anymore it was a positive event for you and she understood that the parents had a really really hard time you know hearing that Um, especially since they were of Asian descent. But when she came into my life, or I guess, you know, we, we found each other, she was 22 or 23. I'm 23, I guess. Yeah, I think she was 23. And she is the one that proposed to me, Hey, um, I really want to get into rape play and I want you to act as my uncle. And of course we had to really dissect that. Why? How? What's this going to do for you? You know, is it going to put you back into a traumatic event? Are you sure? You know, and so we very slowly climbed that ladder. And when I say slow, I mean very slowly, months and months and months of climbing that ladder, discussing, talking, putting things into, you know, negotiations, contract, all that type of stuff. I, on a personal note, I'm going to share my story. Mm -hmm. And um, rape play allowed me to heal. I was molested and raped and you name it, it's happened to me. If it has anything to do with anything negative, it's probably happened to me. Um, And what I was able to do through rape play was take my power back. I was able to design a scenario or a scene that I wanted and I got to be powerful even though it was a rape scene. And it's really hard for people to understand that, but I 
and and you you it was you know you can attest to this it too. It was with me, yeah. And it was it really helped me heal, and it made my trauma less traumatic. And I mean, it just it's really it's a mind thing, but I have really healed because of that. Yeah, very true. Um, and, and let me speak from someone that was in that role with you, right on the outside. Um, you know. After we were done playing, there was some tears, but there was a lot of self-realization on Stephanie's part. And then there was this strength. This just, I mean, the next day, it was like night and day um, with her attitude around it. Um, she had pep in her step. I, I mean, was no longer a victim. Right. Exactly. Thank you. I was just going to say that. She was no longer a victim. She was a strong-ass, badass survivor. Yeah. And it took that mm-hmm. shift in my mind, and I got that from that play, that scenario, that scene we did. Yeah. And I think that's really hard for some people to understand how something that from the outside looks so shocking and so disturbing could actually be, maybe that wasn't fun necessarily, but it was positive and healing, and it's had a, a positive impact on your life. Mm-hmm. And people who've never had any exposure to BDSM, I think that's news to them, that that could be a potential outcome. Absolutely. Well, we are really getting deep, deep into this one. And I am so interested in learning more about when kiki sex go wrong with Dr. Eli Chef. But we have to head into a commercial break and we will be right back. Ladies, are you ready to take your intimacy to the next level? Head over to EvolveYourIntimacy.com to learn more about intimacy, relationships, and sex counseling. And gentlemen, do you need a little bit more? Head over to our website to learn tips on how to communicate with that special someone and ignite that flame. If you enjoy our content and guests and would like to help us grow, go to our website, EvolveYourIntimacy.com to follow, like, subscribe, and comment on all of our social media accounts. Now, let's get back to the show. And we are back. This is Stephanie with Evolve Your Intimacy, and I am from the Evolve Your Intimacy podcast. We are talking with Dr. Eli Chef about when kinky sex goes wrong. And jumping right into the third thing that you said um, was out of the three problematic is death. And I mean, that just obviously, obviously that's a problematic situation. But how do people die from kinky sex and what type of activities are, are they doing that ends in this terrible result? Yes, it's, it's tragic. Um, I would say the most common way is strangulation. Um, breath play and choking are really popular. People really enjoy the feeling of having oxygen or blood flow or air cut off. It really can intensify orgasm and produce a feeling of euphoria. So a lot of people do it, but people don't understand, I think, how incredibly dangerous it can be. Um, and I have worked on cases where apparently consensual choking went on too long or when they released their hands, the blood vessels didn't spring back. So I think one of the very important things to know, um, if you want to do breath play or choking, it can be fun. You have to be very careful with it one of the important things is to do that sober because the the um potential for death is so high um it's very important to play sober when you're playing with someone's life literally in your hands um sometimes if you press for instance on the front of the neck you can damage the trachea, you can damage the vocal cords even, you can um, constrict breathing even once you've let go. Be aware that if someone, for instance, shakes their head from side to side, let go, that means stop. They are not enjoying this 
And that's a good thing to negotiate is what's the signal if you are not enjoying this? Yeah, so I, I do want to, and I don't mean to correct, but um, <clears throat> so I'm also a paramedic. Yes. And I have a medical license. So what that very last part is absolutely true. That is one technique. However, arterial pressure when it comes to asphyxiation is actually the safest way to conduct that maneuver. However, you were absolutely correct in when you said to apply direct pressure to an arterial right um, point is very dangerous. Right. Um, you know, it's very complicated and it really can depend on the prosecutors and the judge for some judges who are very much about, you know, you cannot consent to this, even the accusation is enough. And it doesn't matter even if there was a hint of consent, it's it's still, um, they're gonna throw the book at who they view as the perpetrator. For others, it is, it revolves around consent. Is this like in that um, murder case, the breath play murder case, um, it actually became important that this person who was dead um, had had a visible history of kinky sex and that this was something that they had engaged in with other partners. But you can establish a pattern and it's very tricky. You have to walk a very fine line between hearsay and is using facts to establish a pattern. And that really falls to, at least generally, I'm on the side of the defense. And so in this case, that fell to the defense litigators who did an amazing job the second time around. The first time, that poor guy had terrible representation and was not well served at all by his lawyer. But the second time, they were able to establish a pattern and that helped to indicate, yes, this might have been consensual because he had a history of doing things like this in the past. Yeah, so so what you're describing, um, we call it common commonality of behaviors. And what a lot of law enforcement or attorneys try and do is they try and distinguish, you know, how common was this type of behavior for this person and does it equal assault or homicide, depending on what you know what took place and what the end result was? And, and it is very hard. Um, I mean, extremely hard. It's actually so hard that I've I've watched many judges who I personally knew were very kinky and into some very rough stuff. Still, you know, make that determination of well, I'm sorry, but in my you know in their opinion, it was not consensual and it was absolutely assault. Uh, I've never been part of a case when it when it was death related, but I have been part of a case where it was, you know, a sexual assault or assault related. Um, and so, yeah. So I, I have to know, in this case that you were just talking about, you said that the first attorney was not good. The second one, how did it turn out? He went from death row to time served because oh. he'd been in jail for quite a while. Mm -hmm. um, they determined that. So there's a difference between murder, which is intentional, um, and it can be either premeditated, which is the highest form, and you're in the most trouble if you think about it and plan it out, um, or murder can be kind of a crime in the moment where you freak out and kill somebody, or manslaughter is an, an accident. It's when you accidentally kill someone you didn't premeditate and you didn't intend it but it happened anyway and that's what was determined had happened and he had been in jail for plenty of time before that in terms of serving a sentence for manslaughter so he at least came off death row Wow. right yeah mm -hmm. so i i think that the key point to take away from that for many that are listening that are considering any of this type of stuff is even if there's a contract even if it's signed i don't care if there's a notary i don't care if you guys went to an attorney's office um the court of law 
right? Um, murder, homicide, manslaughter. Someone is going to pay. Someone is going to get in trouble if someone passes away or if there is uh, enough of an assault and enough bodily damage. Someone is going to have to pay the piper. It's, it's very rare, right? We see a lot of it on TV and in, in Hollywood where they get this awesome attorney and they come in and they just destroy the courtroom and then the person walks free. I'm here to tell you after hundreds and hundreds of federal cases in federal court that it doesn't happen that way. <laughs> Someone always pays the piper somehow, some way. So just be careful in what you're doing. You must trust your play partners. You must trust yourself. Educate yourself heavily. Um, communicate, 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 and uh, and consent. I mean, over consent. <laughs> it's better to over consent than it is not to ask at all. So, agreed. And you can actually make the negotiation kind of hot by saying, "Well, what do you want me to do to you?" Things like that. You know, use negotiation as foreplay. That's yeah. I mm, That's a good point. That is a great point. I mean, that's kind of hot just, you know, that I don't know, that negotiation is hot. You're so right. I'm just kinky. I can't help it. <laughs> you you got problems. I baby. do got problems. <laughs> <laughs> so, lastly, um what are your recommendations for those that are exploring this type of kinky sex and they want to stay out of a courtroom or they do not want cops called? That's a great question. I would say go slow. Start mild and soft. Play sober. Get training. So find mentoring. There are all sorts of meetups and munches and dungeons and classes all over the place. And you can find mentoring. And if you can't find it in person, you can find it online. A lot of people have gotten a lot of education on FET life, F-E-T-L-I-F-E dot com or dot org. I think it's dot com. It's dot com. Um, it is dot com. Mm-hmm. And it's a great place to ask questions. It's free. Um, take some of it with a grain of salt because it's just, it's like Facebook for kinky people. So trust it as much as you trust Facebook, which in some cases is a lot. There is some great information on Facebook. In other cases, it's complete bullshit. So (laughs) FetLife can be a good source, especially if taken, you know, with critical thought. Um, In-person classes and finding mentoring and communicate frequently. Um, Not only before when you're negotiating, but it's totally okay during a scene to say, how's this going? Is that too hard? Um, You know, a lot of people who are in role don't necessarily, if you're, you know, um, your role is a sadistic paratrooper, then is this too hard is going to feel out of character, but there are ways to check in even when you're in character. So communicate during the scene as well. Mm. Yeah, 100%. And, and, and I like that you were so honest about FetLife, you know, because I, I use FetLife and I'm on FetLife. But I'm going to tell you that, you know, there has been a couple different um, individuals on FetLife, one specifically called The Wolf that is a well-known court case now because it is a, a a person that is an abuser and a rapist that was using FetLife and BDSM as a segue to, you know, produce his acts, his illegal acts, and hiding under the BDSM supposed umbrella, uh, mostly in the UK. But just be careful who you're talking to, you know. Um, if they're not asking a lot of questions, if they're not educated, if they just seem like they're too eager, that's probably a huge red flag. Or if they want to jump straight into sexual interaction with no kind of getting to know each other's boundaries and limits, that's that's a major red flag. Absolutely. Uh, as always, we I enjoy you. I just 
am a fan and your research and contributions. I just need you to know in my research project, Dr. Eli, you are cited all in it. Um, I'm going to run it through the plagiarism checker to make sure I didn't do any of that. But I'm telling you, it's like all of it is cited by, as Dr. Eli Sheff says, and da, 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 because you're just so amazing. And the contributions to that you've made to the field of psychology and sex are beyond what many people even can understand. And so I just love it. Beyond measure. Beyond measure. Um, well, thank you so much. That's very sweet of you to say. Thank you. So tell our listeners where they can find you, your articles, so they can learn more about this very important topic. So my website at elizabethchef.com, E-L-I-S-A-B-E-T-H-S-H-E-F-F.com has all sorts of stuff, information about um, and links to my articles and all sorts of stuff, information about my practices, my relationship coaching and my expert witness practice. Um, probably the most kind of publicly accessible and easily digested format for like little research tidbits is my Psychology Today blog under the name of my first book, The Polyamorists Next Door. Which is a great book, cited many times. <laughs> Thank you. Um, well, uh, again, thank you so much, and I look forward to to really talking to you again. Yay! Yeah. Thanks so much for having me. <laughs> As always, it has den- been a definite pleasure. Me too. Thanks. So to recap the show tonight, um, if you're going to get into the kinky play that really skirts the law, just know that you are putting yourself at risk. But there are ways to mitigate those risks. You can do so by getting a video and signed consent form. You can complete a contract, have tons of communication, maybe have an outside educator help to ensure safety. Talk about all the what ifs. Make sure you think about everything. And if you need to, take some courses. This type of play is very, very fun. It's very sexual, it's very empowering, but it needs to be safe because we don't want you to end up on the wrong side of the courtroom. So we've had a lot of people ask about our new seasons and what is up and coming. So I really want to quick want to talk to you guys about that. So we have the Bliss Cruise coming up. We're going to be hosting a number of different workshops and play shops, everything from Dirty Bingo to Blind Lust to Pleasuring the Pearl to Setting Boundaries to Tantalizing Tantra. Uh, we're going to do four workshops and four play shops in all. Um, that's going to be on the Bliss Cruise Celebrity Reflection on November 13th through the 20th. And if you want to learn more about that, you can go to our website, evolveyourintimacy.com, look under the fun tab, and click on cruises. Additionally, we do a free live question and answer sexuality workshop on stc.com every first Thursday of every single month. And that is at 8 p.m. Central Standard Time. Also, don't miss out on Stephanie's eight quality eight qualities of great sex article in ASN Magazine. Okay? You can also go on to asnmagazine.com, read that article, and you can also send Stephanie any question related to sex, intimacy, relationships, communication, and so on on the Ask Stephanie page. Okay? And if you like what we do, please head over to any place that you are listening to this podcast. Give us five stars and leave a review. We love that. Yep. And also jump onto our social media sites and like, subscribe, follow, and comment. Absolutely. Hook us up, people. We like that. There you go. Until then, have a good night. Good night. All right, friends. Tune in again next time for another hour of The Sexy Lifestyle, talking about sex, sexuality, sexual health, and, of course, pleasure. Oh, and all the fun ways that you can spice up your sex life. Well, that's it for our show today. On behalf of Carol and David, we are Stephanie and Fox from Evolve Your Intimacy, sending you lots of love and great sex. Please stay safe. And of course, stay sexy, everyone. Until next time.
Thank you for joining Carol and David for this week's edition of The Sexy Lifestyle. We've got another one lined up next Friday at 3 p.m. Pacific Time, 6 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. The weekend is just around the corner, so try something new, spice it up, and you just might have the best sex ever. We'll be right back. 